Hello and welcome to Imagine Amazing, Oregon HFMA's podcast where we discuss what is trending with healthcare finance in the state of Oregon. Yes, welcome everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today's podcast is an amazing spotlight of one of Oregon HFMA's own members, Michael Booman, CEO of Red Dot, also known as the entrepreneur forged in fire. Today, Michael's going to share his experiences, including recent experience from Burning Man. You don't want to miss this episode. Also, as this is the Oregon HFMA podcast, we will be sharing important events and chapter highlights coming in the following months. One that will even take you to Las Vegas. And as a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is available on all popular podcast platforms and is now viewable on Oregon HFMA's YouTube channel. To watch the podcast, pop some popcorn, go to YouTube, type in Oregon HFMA Imagine Amazing, click on the desired episode and sit back and enjoy. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Johnson. And I'm the other host, Kelly Smith. Today's episode of Imagine Amazing is sponsored and made possible by one of Oregon HFMA's diamond sponsors, Red Dot. Red Dot is revolutionizing self-pay MVA accounts by expertly handling MVA accounts from day one so that healthcare systems can focus on higher margin accounts and their core competencies. To learn more about Red Dot, please visit their website at www.reddotmanagement.com. Thank you, Red Dot, for your support of the chapter and for this podcast today. It's my pleasure. Michael, thank you for being with us on this episode of Imagine Amazing. I have known you for a couple of years now, and I'm always impressed and amazed at all of your adventures, your stories, and everything that you do. You're not just a CEO, your husband, father, friend, um, but you are also a former firefighter who has dil- diligently served your communities and continues to help people from all walks of life. Michael, welcome today. So glad to have you join us. And I will never forget the first chapter event that you joined us at the Oregon Gardens in the fall of last year. And you just jumped right in and became part of the chapter and have been participating ever ever since. So we really appreciate you. Uh, And not only do we get the fun updates about what's happening with the chapter, but we also get to have our listeners meet you today, learn about how you've helped veterans, emergency and first responders with mental health and psychedelic medicine, which is really groundbreaking. I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, But before we go any further, will you please introduce yourself to our listeners and share with us a little bit about your own background, including why you're known as the entrepreneur forged in fire? (laughs) Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm Michael Booman, CEO of Red Dot. Um, the entrepreneur forged in fires um, comes from a couple of things. One, I actually started my company in the firefighter lounge, the department I was on at that time in the early 2000s. And then one of the early podcasts that I was on, um, that's actually how the host referred to the uh, episode. And it's something that kind of stuck because uh, I run my company really following the ethos of what I learned at the fire service, and it really kind of blends nicely together. So it's it's really kind of a moniker that's stuck. Oh, that's good. I love when there's a little story behind it. And then I'm, I'm curious, too, about your role as CEO mm-hmm. of Red Dot. Why did you start this organization? And tell us about what your organization does. Sure. Thank you. Um, it started back... I was in Colorado in mid-2003 when the auto laws changed in that state. And so I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And when we switched, or when Colorado switched from what's known as a PIP or a no-fault state to a tort state, uh, which most states are, Oregon being one of them, um, it created this opportunity between 
helping providers provide treatment to in what's known as an uninsured auto accident victim. Um, they don't have health insurance, but there's liability insurance between the auto carriers. But there's a gap between treatment and payment, and often that gap's pretty extensive. And I just happened to see an opportunity to help bridge that. Uh, and then that grew into creating a solution for hospital systems. And so what Red Dot does is really kind of fill that gap to say, listen, we'll, we'll acquire these accounts from you. We'll take them onto our system, take the balance sheet risk transfer, and then we'll resolve it uh, in a very empathetic way, dealing only with those liability carriers um, and not engaging in negative debt collection activity. So we've created this really uh, wonderful solution that helps everybody along the way. Uh, and keeps us karmically clean because we don't um, have to, we don't really hurt anybody in the process. We really do benefit all the players. And so um, that's that's how we got started and, and kind of in a nutshell, what we do. That is awesome and so needed. So I'm yeah. grateful that you saw that need. You jumped in and took care of it. Maybe that's why you're the entrepreneur forged in fire <laughs> as your title, um, but really, really impressive and grateful that you're part of the Oregon HFMA chapter and joining us, of course, on this podcast. You know, as I've had the privilege of getting to know you, I've noticed that your life is really just full of service wherever you go. It seems like you're you're doing something new. And Kelly mentioned at the opening how you participate in Burning Man. So that's a, just in and of itself a fascinating uh, topic we hope we will touch on today. In fact, just looking back on your firefighting and your Burning Man medic days, what are the most significant leadership lessons you've learned that continue to influence your approach to leadership and to life? That's a great question. Um, I've actually distilled it down into what I call the uh, the first responder leadership mindset and, and really just borrowing from what I learned in the fire service on how to uh, operate within a crew, how to run a crew, especially on an internal structure fire um, and it, it's, it really lends itself to leadership in business and elsewhere, the ability to make decisions, to adapt to dynamic environments, looking out for your people, uh, and again, making decisions. Uh, and it's, uh, as my kids can tell you, they, they hear a lot about what, how I've learned from that lifestyle into this lifestyle and how that really does, uh, move forward into how to live life, how to raise your children. And, and how to approach that world. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an ethos that really just flows through everything that we do. Can I ask why Burning Man, of all events that are <laughs> across the, the world, um, you spend time volunteering there? I was just curious about that. Well, that Jeff, that got started, oddly, I, I read a book called Stealing Fire, and I, I'm fascinated with flow states, where you're at your most optimum uh, I've experienced it in sports. I've experienced it in group flow as a firefighter. And it's where you're at your most optimum state. And so I got rather obsessive about learning more about that that area that you can that you can achieve. And in this book, they spoke about Burning Man. And after I finished the chapter, I simply reached out to the organization and said, hey, do you need medics? And they said, yes, but you have to have all of these additional certifications. And as a fireman, I have those and more. And, and said, hey, great, can I just email those over to you. And within one phone call, got into uh, to be a medic at Burning Man with absolutely no idea what I was getting into, like none. Uh, and I thought it'd be a one and done, you know, I'd show up, do this thing. Uh, and then I realized actually what it's about. Uh, and to me, it's really just a compressed hero's journey within that 10 days that you're there. 
and an amazing place to practice emergency medicine. Uh, and having been in the fire service since early 2000s, I went into it thinking, you know what, I've seen it all. This will be a, just another example of that. Uh, literally my first shift, I'm like, okay, never seen that before. Uh, <laughs> and it's really something that's grown beyond just my experience to bringing in other firefighters, uh, friends of mine from Colorado. Um, and it's become really another way for us to deepen our bond of friendship by being of service to others in this unbelievable backdrop of Burning Man, which I liken to, you know, a Halloween party on the dark side of the moon. Um, just, it's, it's one of those ineffable experiences that you try to describe and explain, but words fall short. Uh, but it's a wonderful place to practice emergency medicine because it's the craziest calls because of the environment, uh, the things that folks are doing, how they're dressed up. And it's very, in, in EMS, we call it, you know, it's like playing jazz, right? You have to understand the chords, but every every call is a rift. Uh, and Burning Man's a, a pretty high example of that. So uh, it's a great place to get to, to practice emergency medicine. Awesome. Yeah. I've never been to Burning Man, but I have seen pictures. So I can only imagine what it would be like to be there in real life. Well, I, I recommend it to anybody, honestly. I, I was blown away by the experience and continue to be so. Uh, again, what I thought it was and what it turned out to be couldn't be any more different. Mm -hmm. uh, from the art to the way that that people are uh, during the event, being at a place where no one's trying to sell you anything uh, because there isn't any of that there. Uh, it's really an interesting societal experiment uh, and experience that I do recommend for folks to go. It's not easy to get there. It's difficult, which adds to it, right? Uh, it costs you something to experience it. It's a very austere environment. You know, you're out in a thing called the playa, which is this ancient lake bed. Um, it's high desert. So you have altitude issues. You've got uh, generally heat issues. And so you've got dehydration and a number of other things that make it difficult to be there, which helps you know, cause the more intensity of the experience. So um, I do recommend it. And I understand you were recently published in the Journal of Emergency Medicine Services uh, this past October mm -hmm. in an article titled, I'm a Burning Man QRV. 2023 was my best burn ever. So of course we know Burning Man's known for its unconventional and challenging environments of you, as you're describing to us here today. But can you share a memorable experience from your time as a Burning Man medic that highlights the unique demand of providing medical assistance in, in that high desert setting? I can, and actually this year was, an, uh, we had back-to-back -back really rather intense years. Uh, this year we had rain, which I had not experienced before. Uh, in the five years that I've gone and speaking with more veteran burners uh, that have been going for 20 some years, this was the most rain ever experienced at the event. And when those conditions meet rain, I the aggressiveness of that mud is difficult mm -hmm. to really get across. Uh, and so we had to adapt to that for me, what vehicles could run. Uh, we had to move to what's known as an MCI stance, which is mass casualty incident. So we treated um, responding to emergency calls differently. Uh, we did a lot more field triage. Uh, we had to really uh, minimize but maximize whom we transported given the, uh, the, the limited resources. Uh, we didn't have the ambulance couldn't run in those conditions because they're two-wheel drive. 
We we are on QRVs, which are quick response vehicles, which are four-seater Polaris ATVs. So we could get through those conditions. Um, we had to adapt and, and outfit some of those for what's known as ALS calls, which is advanced life support. So taking the key components from an ambulance, placing them on that rig, and then sometimes transporting required what we, you know, a little MacGyver to it. So uh, really adaptability was probably the biggest one, which is, of course, firefighters are, are professional problem solvers. We liked it, uh, found the increased intensity of that experience more to our liking because we actually had problems to solve in big ones. And um, you put firefighters together and that's what we're looking to to do. So um, by way of example was that, and then, and then dealing with those sort of conditions and dealing then with the po- patient population, which we found really to fall along both ends of the spectrum. Uh, those that were good to go, uh, just rolled with it. Those that were under stress from the week and the environment and whatever else might be happening in their lives, that compounded that effect for them. So we had uh, dealing with patients that had uh, a bit more mental stress related to the environment was was part of it as well. Uh, and then, of course, just, you know, teamwork and, and coming into, um, you know, these unique patient environments, working together as a team and making it work um, within the confines of that challenging environment. It's not that there are no flat spaces, there are no bright lights. Um, and so adaptability and then the ability to come together as a team cohesively uh, really shine through. You know, absolutely amazing. I remember seeing the news articles that came out and the pictures from that rain and the amounts of mud that were everywhere and that people were, like you said, they were mired, right? Oh, yeah. And just completely blows my mind that you were gaining so much wisdom and even leadership experience as you were out there serving. That just is amazing. So kudos to you and and to your team for holding it together in such a tough, tough environment. You know, um, you often reference when I speak with you, the volunteer paradox, where basically you often gain more, right? When you give, um, especially in those volunteer roles. So how has this concept impacted your ability to continue to lead others and to be of service, you know, in the past and in your current endeavors? Well, it's the, the, the volunteer paradox is sort of a playoff of the generosity paradox, right? The more that you give, and, and it's all predicated on giving for the right reasons, right? If you go into it saying, hey, I'm doing this to get something from it, you're gonna miss the mark. Uh, but if you go into it with that clear intention of, I'm just here to be of service, I'm here to give, um, I've always, it's, it's always turned out that way where you end up getting more. Uh, and it's often what you get back isn't necessarily a tangible, certainly isn't monetary. It's that feeling of connection of, of fulfillment of you know friendships that get built from it there's a lot of positive that comes from it and and that's kind of what i mean by uh, that you get more back than you give i mean again i often am volunteering my ems skill set to whatever nonprofit. you know they always need medics they always need someone that can perform those functions and so i'm there as more like an insurance policy or to plan things safely um, so that people don't end up in a situation where they need, you know, me to do that part of it. Uh, and that always causes this uh, amazing connections and friendships and, and the things that you learn. And I've been able to share that with my kids, especially with 
Um, here in the Valley, we do a thing called Military to the Mountains, where we bring in uh, 22 disabled combat vets every year to spend a week skiing and snowboarding at Palisades Tahoe. And I ran the medical overwatch for that event. And I was able to bring my kids in who know the mountain well to kind of act as sort of guides to say, hey, let's take some of these athletes that maybe can achieve a higher level of, of experience on the snow and let's show them a local line. Let's show them some of the stuff that we know, great little spots. And in doing that, it allowed my kids to interact with adaptive athletes. And what I have found is, 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 is folks that are you know in wheelchairs or in crutches or, or amputees, it kind of creates this wall between them and everybody else uh, in a way almost makes them invisible. And I talked to my kids about it before they came and I said, you know, what do you think about it? Do you have any concerns? Are you worried about anything? And they're, they all said the same thing. We don't know what to say because they're in a wheelchair or they're missing a limb or something. And they're, how do I do that? And so I was able to help them break that wall of just move first and talk to them. And the interaction between the athletes and my kids, probably the best thing that ever came from that. Uh, and I did that at a surf camp as well. Uh, and I remember I took my son because he, he surfs and and we ended up at dinner with this great woman uh, in a wheelchair. And I told my son, I said, hey, bud, you know, here's how we talk to folks. You know, be careful what you say. Don't, you know, just be conscious uh, of, of how you interact. And so he was very polite and, and, and on point with his etiquette. And she looked at him and said, hey, do you have any questions? And he was like, yes. How do you get upstairs? How do you do, I mean, just basic stuff that allowed this back and forth between him and this wonderful woman that had been injured. She's a, a, she's an Olympian. Um, I think she surfs uh, just an amazing adaptive athlete. I mean, we're talking high, high level, but she was so kind and gave him an opportunity to ask any questions that he had. And that carried over through the week where he, you know, he would, uh, athletes would let them take their wheelchair for a spin. And so completely obliterated any of this sort of, you know, artificial gap or wall between, you know, a person in a wheelchair and a person not in a wheelchair. And so now when we're uh, just out in the regular world, they don't have any issue coming up and, hey, you know, talking to someone that they've just met uh, in a wheelchair or another adaptive athlete that they see on the mountain. And so um, it's really, really provided an opportunity to expand that and, and even for myself you know i didn't have much to do with adaptive athletes until i've started volunteering for that program and now have that ability to immediately pop in and, and chat and, and 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 make those connections so uh, yeah back to the the paradox it's you'd be surprised at what will happen when you simply put yourself out to be of service yeah in a world that is so stressful it's funny right it's what a paradox yeah. right you're stressed you feel like you don't have anything else to give and you're telling all of our listeners hey if you volunteer and do it for the right reason you will remove that stress that you have in your life and actually yeah. learn and and develop more so awesome and what a way to break down barriers too between just those I know what it's like to approach somebody and maybe they're missing a limb. I too sometimes am at a loss of words. What do you say? But how beautifully stated and what a great experience. So, yeah. And, and if I could give you one more example. So, uh, at the surf camp, um, one of the athletes was 
I think he's a quadruple amputee, and I think he was it was he was born um, in that condition, and he's actually climbed Everest. And I wasn't there. I was out. I was there uh, as a swift water rescue tech, providing water safety. But it was retold to me where my son met him, and I my son was young at this point. He was ooh, maybe eight nine years old. Um, and, and I've been teaching him when you meet someone, shake hands, right? Look him in the eye, that, that sort of beginning etiquette. Well, he meets this gentleman who has no legs, um, has one sort of, you know, s- sort of half arm. And he does it. He's like, I'm supposed to shake hands. What do I do? And so this athlete recognizes that and goes, hey, man, give me some stump. And so they <laughs> fist bump to that way. And it completely caused... Now my son knew he could move forward through that. And that athlete showed him by taking the, the making the effort to move first and, and allow, because Tristan was stuck. He was like, oh, I'm supposed to shake hands. I don't know what to do. And the guy could see that and, and, and read that. And it was, um, having that told to me was pretty, um, pretty great as a dad. You know, to say, see how my son dealt with that. But it really required that athlete to recognize what was going on with my son and bridge that gap. And then it just, and then everything flowed from there. And it was, um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to put into words how powerful that is for your kids to have comfort, to be able to be inclusive, right? Like, hey, yes, things are, things are different for them for whatever the reason, whether it was a war injury or born or some other just traumatic injury that occurred. But at the end of the day, it's still just people, right? Just getting past that level. And so they, I see them do it all the time now. They, they make a point of it. If we're at a grocery store, uh, someone's in a wheelchair, they'll go, hey, man, what's up? And just start chatting with them. And the, the, um, it's, it's such a heartwarming thing because oftentimes those folks uh, really do feel as though they're invisible because folks don't know what to say. So uh, not to beleaguer that point, but that's one that really does stick out. Oh, I think that's wonderful. It's just such a gift that you're giving in volunteering and giving back to the community. And I'm a parent too. So just to hear how you're bringing your children along to learn what that can do for others and, and the little things that can really make a big difference. So I just want to say thank you very much. It's inspiring. It's it's, it's worked out. We're we're fortunate in the environment that we live um, that you can get easily involved in something. And and it's again, I'm blessed because of the skill set that I have. I can always find a place to put that. Uh, and it's always it's something I know and know well. And, and allows, it's really this backstage pass to a lot of different things um, that I'm, I'm super grateful to have. So Michael, you've shared so many different ways that you've contributed and that you, that your children have learned as well. I think great stories of just leadership and partnering with others given today. But if you could share just one piece of advice to our listeners from your experience, what would that be? God, how does one distill it down to one? I know my kids have been hoping I could do that uh, as they get a number of nuggets from me. Um, if you come from that position of being of service, uh, that's that's both up and out, meaning from your organization out to whomever you serve, but also those that are fortunate enough to be in a leadership position 
you know, really taking care of your crew is really leadership rule one, right? Making sure your people are good to go. And there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, One, you know, by being a good leader, being decisive, making decisions, um, two, being compassionate and bringing them along. Um, I, I would say it really does come down to understanding what being of service really encompasses. Again, it is up and out, but it's also down and in. And 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 leaders are always bringing those that are on their crew uh, upward, and 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 looking out for your people. Difficult to distill down to one thing. Uh, as I said, my kids are still waiting for me to do that. <laughs> well, you're awesome. You know, when Kelly was first introducing you in the podcast, she had mentioned and touched on the psychedelic medicine, mm-hmm. and I was just. I'm hoping that you would just give us an overview of that and what you're doing in that realm. It sounds very unique to me. I would like to learn a little bit more. Well, thank you. And Oregon's leading the way with uh, legalizing psilocybin for therapeutic purposes. So a lot of other states are looking to how good a job you guys have done in Oregon uh, and, and, and finding ways to match that. There's a number of changes happening across the country. Um, I focus on first responders and veterans. And what we have found through psychedelic science therapies, it's really the only thing that can cure PTSD. And when we first got into this, and I I helped form a first responder veteran psychedelic medicine group that meets about quarterly, we call in facilitators to help us with the medicine. Um, And at first we thought that's what this was, is to help deal with PTSD, trauma from the job, trauma from combat. And, and, and work to get past that. What we didn't realize was really the bigger play or the bigger outcome from this is, is, is the creation of a, the tribal effect. Uh, those of us that have been, of, I wouldn't say just those of us that have been of service, but really most of what's missing in our society is this sense of community or village or tribe. Uh, we're really good at being isolated. You can stay in your house and have everything delivered to you. You're on your phone. You're not really in... Uh, you know, a council of men, a council of women, a council of elders. Uh, you don't really have that village connection anymore. And what we have found uh, in our group is that we've created now this tribe uh, where we had all been missing that. Because once you leave your service, you lose all that camaraderie. You lose that high intensity team of whatever you were doing that was, you know, high level, high impact. Uh, but you can also extend that out to really anybody. And so, we're really finding benefits beyond just the healing of trauma. And it isn't always just the healing of trauma. Healthy people can be made better as well. And there's been a lot being done in in psychedelic science and therapies to help with anxiety, depression, uh, any number of things that are afflicting those of us in the way our society is now. I just happen to focus on the first responder veteran community as that's really the tribe that I come from and and, and can speak the most to. Uh, but the benefits are, it's really unbelievable. I mean, it's almost 100% success rate of helping people move past uh, childhood trauma, you know, whatever trauma they had in the service. And then as it turns out, that makes you a better version of you, which then allows you to show up and lean into all aspects of your life. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a passion of mine. It's another um, sort of volunteer thing that I do uh, helping to, to elevate that and, and being willing to, 
deal with the stigma that can come from that. Mm -hmm. It's still a new thing. Uh, some folks may still be in the Nancy Reagan, just say no uh, mentality, or, or, or even those that remember, you know, the Nixon way of looking at the sixties. Um, and so there is, there's some risks to stepping up and speaking on it. Uh, but when I was at the maps conference in Denver, I heard somebody say, actually, I heard a number of people say this, that my reputation isn't worth more than helping people. And that really hit home for me. I'm like, you know, well, I should stand up and, and say, Hey, listen, this has helped me. It's helped other people that I know, and this is available. And, and and be willing to to be an early adopter at that and being willing to take some risks that folks may still think it's something that it's not and help to educate past what may be some, some hangover negative connotations that really don't apply. And here's what often happens is I'll get approached by someone who says, my uncle's a firefighter and he struggles with this, or my cousin is a police officer, or my brother was in combat and he's struggling. And they, it's a family member or a friend that reaches out and says, hey, I know someone's struggling. And we say, cool, we've got, it's that old parable of the person that, that, that I don't know if you've heard this one, where it's the man who walks down the street and falls in a hole. And the walls are too high and he can't get out. And he's wondering what to do. And a doctor walks by and the guy shouts up, hey, doc, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And the doctor writes out a prescription, throws it in the hole, and he moves on. And then a priest walks by. Hey, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? Priest writes down a, a prayer, throws it in the hole, and he moves on. And then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck down here. And the friend said, yes, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. And so that's really sums up what we're doing. And so then we reach out to that person and say, hey, man. I know the way out of the hole. Are you interested? And then that leads to whatever it leads to. So there's, and there's a number of these groups around the country. There are those that are taking folks on um, retreats out of the country. And so there's a whole host of solutions available uh, to folks in those situations. So yeah. just so I like psychedelic medicine, mm -hmm. is this like mushroom treatment? That, well, that's one version. And so there's, there's a host of medicines. There's MDMA, which was originally designed for marriage therapy. It causes you to, what we refer to in, in, in the parlance is it's, it's heart opening. Uh, it causes you to create connection, to talk about things. It also allows those that have had significant personal trauma to relive, relive that trauma without re-experiencing it and allows mm -hmm. some neuro, um, neuroplasticity and some reframing around it. So there's there's MDMA, there's psilocybin, uh, there's even LSD that's used, uh, ayahuasca, 5-MeO-DMT. Uh, These are some capstone um, psychedelics. Ibogaine's another version of that. Um, what Jeff might be referring to when someone's heading down to Peru is really ayahuasca. Uh, oh, and ayahuasca, yeah. is a, that, that's, that's a capstone psychedelic. That's a multi-hour, multi-day, um, well-facilitated, well-led it's an ancient medicine that we here in the States are like, Oh, here's this new thing. And they're like, yeah, dude, no, this is <laughs> around for ever and ever. And we are just coming to it. 
Um, so yeah, there's there's a whole host of medicines. Oregon's leading the way with psilocybin therapy, where that you can come in, work with a therapist, and, and it's always advised, by the way, to do it that way. This isn't something I advise someone to do on their own and kind of hope for the best. Uh, set and setting, super crucial, crucial, and then having a good, talented guide to help you through that process or a facilitator. Yeah, there's there's a professional way to do it, and then you can. It's it's not advised to do it the other way. Uh, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very similar, Kelly, probably to like what you would experience in a sweat lodge. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, Native Americans did it. So it, it has been around forever, right? Oh, yeah. In helping. Okay. It's just new to us today. I love mm-hmm. that you said that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, we're, we're discovering this ancient medicines and getting to a point and it's been, it's been well done in how it's being brought back. Um, and leading with how it helps veterans, how it helps first responders. It helps get rid of some of that stigma, right? I mean, PTSD is a, is, is a scene. We just ended a 20-year war. Um, there's a high number of that. And if you look at the number of veteran suicides a day, people think it's 22. It's really closer to 44, though only half a percent of the veterans have been in combat. So it's not really necessarily a combat-related thing. It's a loss of community thing. Once you leave that and you're isolated, that is where you also see the wider um, aperture uh, or wider uh, application to just greater society that folks are really isolated. There's a loneliness epidemic. I believe the Surgeon General just came out and actually acknowledged that. One of the worst things facing this country is that isolation, loneliness epidemic, where these medicines help to create and foster that community. Uh, and it can, and I've seen it again in our group where suddenly we have 15 new best friends that, you know, are constantly in contact with me and the sort of post medicine integration just continues because once you journeyed with someone, which is sort of the, the, the phrase for having ceremony together, you know, that person, like, know them, know them, not the mask that we wear or the armor that we have on. You actually traveled with that person. Often you hear someone go, I feel like I've known you for 10 or 20 years, or I know you better than friends I've had for 20 years because it gets you right down to the heart mm-hmm. of the thing. So uh, yeah, we, we can spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. You know, oh, I have yeah. friends who are firefighters and police officers. And I think that society plays a pretty big role in, you know, saying you're, you're tough, you're strong, you're brave, you know, you've dealt with trauma, but you've fought through it and you, you don't have any outcomes, poor outcomes from that. And I think people have had to live to suppress those feelings instead of dealing with those feelings. So the fact that you're helping this population with, you know, those are, those are real feelings that you need to work through. And here's something that can help, I think is a really important conversation to have. Well, what you're talking about is the stigma that Mm -hmm. exists in, in the first responder world of we are help. We don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. We're 911. Mm-hmm. And, and also the on the job stigma uh, or on the job stigma of it, if you acknowledge that you're struggling or having an issue, it could be seen as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. You'd be taken off your crew, could have negative impact on your career advancement. And so, you know, the natural flow is is self-medication through alcohol because that's what's acceptable. Um, that leads to a compounded effect, often to a divorce, you know, all of these things 
just pile on. Uh, in fact, we're, my company's putting out a, a, um, uh, a charity t-shirt uh, working with uh, a charity called Mental, uh, Mental Joe Apparel, where we're going to be selling t-shirts uh, for a first responder mental health nonprofit. And on the front of the shirt has, you know, no stigma, mental health matters with a fire helmet on it, uh, because there really is what you're talking about, Kelly, is the stigma. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're trying to overcome. Like oh, here's, I get asked often to, to speak to new firefighters. And one of the first things I tell them is get a therapist because the conveyor belt of trauma that you're going to be exposed to has a wear and tear impact on you. We're not really designed to see that much mm-hmm. and to deal with that much. And you think you can just put it away and you can for a while, but then you run out of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think of the walls that we put up, um, in, in the beginning, we put them up to protect ourselves from it, but then it starts to act like a seawall where things will splash over and then it becomes really good at holding those things in versus keeping them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding ways to work through that. Uh, we got a road ahead of us, but um, the veterans are leading the way. First responders are, are getting to follow in behind that. And, and I'm making some efforts to, to further that voice. That's great. Well, wow, what a really interesting podcast today and certainly not like one we've ever had had before. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Honestly, Michael, it has been amazing. Not only did I learn a new word, ineffable, which means um, so amazing you don't even have words to describe it. So thank you for that. But just learning about your experiences and leadership. Uh, lessons that you've learned along the way have been very inspiring for me. So thank you again for joining us. And we also want to take a moment to let everyone listening know about important events coming your way through Oregon HFMA. The Western Region Symposium is happening January 21st through 24th, 2024 in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Paris Hotel and Convention Center. Keynotes in that event will include Olympic gold medalist Scott Hamilton, who's also a cancer survivor, healthcare author Cece Conley, executive coach and author Tracy Spears, radio and sports broadcaster Jim Cosimore. All of them will be sharing their experience with healthcare and sharing some insights along that way. So you don't want to miss it. It will be fantastic. The Oregon chapter even has options for people from healthcare systems to attend at extremely discounted rates. That also includes a special sponsorship through Red Dot, who has provided Oregon HFMA with a travel budget for those needing assistance to get to the Western Region Symposium. So if you're interested and you want to learn more and sign up, please visit hfma.org slash chapters slash region dash 11 slash Oregon. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. And hopefully everyone enjoyed the information shared in today's podcast and will join us for the upcoming conference in Vegas. I know I'm registered and plan to attend. Looking forward to it. And meanwhile, we'd like to once again thank everyone for joining us today on this podcast. We, as always, extend the warmest wishes to all Oregon HFMA members. We want to give a shout out to our amazing healthcare heroes who continue to work at making our lives healthier and happier every day. Thank you, everybody. This episode of Imagine Amazing is brought to you today by Red Dot. To learn more about them, please visit www.reddotmgmt.com. Thanks again, Red Dot. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, everybody. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and all other popular podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. 
Please find us, like us, and follow us for exciting content in 2023 through 2024. Also, to learn more about Oregon HFMA, please visit our chapter page at hfma.org slash chapters slash region dash 11 slash Oregon. Oh, 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 oh,